We're going to be in Joshua chapter 7 and 8 uh, this evening. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 7 and 8 as we continue to uh, go through the book of Joshua, uh, centered around the, the, the children who are doing the, the Bible Bowl this year. Lads, the leaders, of course, their theme is the book of Joshua. And so as they're studying it through it, studying through it and practicing uh, each chapter, we as well uh, are going through and uh, preaching from uh, these chapters. And we're going to kind of combine these two tonight uh, because they are one in the same. But before we uh, jump in there, let me ask you a few questions. You know, are you really the person you want us to believe that you are? Uh, are you deep down in your heart, you know, the person that every one sees. You know, according to scripture, not everyone uh, is like that. Not everyone has such a true heart. Uh, we're going to read about Caleb later in Joshua chapter 14, but the Bible says in chapter 14 verse 8 that Caleb followed the Lord holy. His heart was dedicated to the Lord holy. In contrast, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 4, it says that Solomon, uh, he did not follow the Lord with his whole heart. And of course, uh, we, we understand that, you know, some give their lives wholly to the Lord, while others just give part of their lives uh, and, and they hide the other half. Uh, let me uh, ask you another question. Does the name Frank Abig or Ab- Abengale Jr. ring a bell to you? Uh, maybe yes, maybe no, but there was a book written about his life. There was a movie uh, also produced about his life uh, that came out in 2002 uh, that starred uh, Leo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks called Catch Me If You Can. And if you recall this movie, uh, th- this man uh, from a young age, he had so many different jobs. He, he, he was a doctor. He was a lawyer. He was an airplane pilot. He was a professor. He was a financial investor. And so what's the problem? You know, what's the basis of the movie? Well, the thing was, he was faking it. He never really was any of those things. He never studied for those careers, but he simply was a con man who would just walk in and pretend to be uh, one of those different uh, careers. And uh, he spent most of his early life pretending to be someone else. And so when I think of the story that we're going to look at here in Joshua chapter 7 of this man named Achan, uh, this, this man, uh, he, he uh, personifies you know, what Frank uh, Jr. was all about in his life when he uh, was going around pretending to be something he wasn't. So again, in this lesson, you know, I want us to you know, think about and examine our hearts this evening to make sure that we don't have an, uh, an Aiken uh, breaky heart. Now, this isn't a sermon on Billy, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus song or anything like that, uh, but it, it's not an achy breaky heart, but an Aiken breaky heart. And so we want to ask ourselves, you know, am I wholly devoted to the Lord in public as I am in private? You know, God, again, of course, says he wants all or nothing of our lives. He demands our whole uh, devotion. And so let, let's uh, think of some of uh, the background before we uh, get in here to Joshua chapter 7. But of course, let's go all the way back to Numbers 13 and 14. In Numbers 13 and 14, again, Moses sends out the 12 spies into the land of Canaan to spy it out, of course. And what took place was, you remember, the 12 spies came back. Ten of them had a bad report. They, they said, yes, this is a great land, but, you know, we're afraid. We're scared. There's giants in the land, and we can't take them. It's heavily fortified. But then the two of the 12, Joshua and Caleb, said, but the Lord, you know, he's, he's given us this land. Let's trust in him. Let, let's 
uh, as God's going to provide for us, let's take the land. Of course, because of those ten spies who had that negative report, the people of Israel feared. And because of that, God punished them one year for every day that they were in the land of Canaan spying it out, which was 40 days. And so, uh, of course, they are going to walk in the wilderness for 40 years wandering. And so here we are 40 years later, and now Joshua's in charge, and he sends in two spies this time. You know, he's not going to deal with the 12 spies again, but he's simply going to send in two spies. Remember, again, that's chapter 2 where they go in and meet with Rahab, the harlot, and she gives them protection, and they plan the attack. And that's, you know, basically what we've been talking about, Joshua chapter 1 verses six, or through chapter 6, about them preparing for this great battle in Jericho. And we talked about that last week, how it was apparent that God was with them when they were in Jericho. He gave them the battle plan. Remember, circle around the city once for six straight days. And on that seventh day, walk around seven times. And when I give you the signal, you know, you're going to yell with a great shout. Uh, The priests are going to blow the trumpets and the walls are going to come tumbling down. And everything that, that they find within the city, again, they were to utterly destroy Any of the gold and silver and the precious stones were to be put in the God's treasury. They weren't to keep it for themselves, but they were to give it to God as a first fruit of the very first victory that they're going to have in the promised land. And so they do that. They make that great shout. The walls come tumbling down, just as God said, and they utterly destroy and burn the city of Jericho. But as we get into chapter 7, notice with me, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. So we're going to notice uh, through chapter 7 as Joshua and the Israelites uh, go to their next battle, uh, the next town, which is the town of Ai. That's how it's spelled, Ai. They're going to go there, and they're not going to send the full troops. You know, actually, uh, Joshua doesn't even consult with God like he has in the past few battles, but he just he sends out a couple of spies. They go into the land, check it out. They come back and say, hey, uh, th- this is nowhere near like Jericho. We just need three to 4,000 men. We'll send them in there. We'll easily defeat them. But as we see here here in Scripture in chapter 7, that that was not the case at all. Uh, The people of Ai uh, chased the Israelites out of the city. Matter of fact, we're told that 36 Israelites' soldiers died as they retreated. And Joshua, he's upset. He's he's wondering what's going on. You know, the, the people, he's worried because the people of the land, the Canaanite people, are going to hear that they were just defeated and... No longer are the people going to be afraid of the Israelites and they're going to rise up and and attack them. But God tells them why that had happened. He says that there is sin in the camp. And as long as that sin remains, he says, I cannot be with you. And so Joshua, trying to figure out what's going on, who who, who is responsible for this, he calls all of the tribes together uh, and they, by lot, uh, meaning, you know, it's kind of what we did, would say a uh, drawing straws, uh, but this was a divine process. They either Joshua or maybe one of the, the priests took place. Uh, they drew lots to determine uh, who this was the responsible for this. And so first they call out the, the tribe of Judah and then from the tribe of Judah, the, 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 the Zerathites. 
uh, this family uh, of the Zarathites. And from that family, they choose Zabdi. And from the family of Zabdi, they narrow it down all the way to this man by the name of Achan. And, you know, think of, just think of the humiliation that this family uh, or this tribe of Judah and these families had as, you know, they were narrowing it down from, you know, one group to the other to the other. And, of course, when they get to Achan, he confesses what he has done, uh, that he and his family were guilty of stealing and disobeying God because he took some of those things that were under the ban. He saw this beautiful mantle or another translations will say a robe or a garment. Uh, he, he, he found 200 shekels of silver. He brought that back to his tent and also some bars of gold. And no one saw him do this. Right? He got away with this. Um, you know, think of the Israelites for the past 40 years. They've been wandering in the wilderness. Uh, every day God has provided the manna and quail and water for them to drink. But now, as they're going into Jericho and they're having these battles, uh, win, they're winning these battles. And now, all of a sudden, this temptation is set before uh, this man in particular, Achan. And it must have been too great for him. Because as we uh, would read at the end here of chapter 7, Achan and his sons and his daughters and all that he possessed, all his livestock, all his, his possessions were taken outside of the camp of Israel, they were stoned, put to death, and their bodies burned uh, as an example to the people. Well, th- this evening, what we want to do, uh, we want to do something very similar to what we did last week as we looked at Heal the Bethelite in chapter 6, and we, you know, from the curse of Jericho, and we took some lessons from his life. So I want to do something very similar again this evening as we look at some lessons from the life of Achan. And the first one we want to notice is that my sin is known. Again, Joshua didn't know, the the people of Israel didn't know that Achan had stolen those things that he wasn't supposed to, but God knew. And we may, uh, you know, as we think of our lives as well, we may be able to hide things from man, but we ultimately, we need to understand that we cannot hide these things from God. You know, you'd think from the, the advancement of technology that we have in the world today that, you know, thieves would think twice about stealing. Right. Uh, Because there are camera angles pointed in every direction, Uh, cameras on doorbells. You know, there are cameras everywhere. You know, we continually will see videos of people who will go up and take packages off of people's um, off their front steps. And you would think that that people would realize that they're on video doing this. But it still it doesn't uh, deter their actions. Just the other day, I was walking uh, in Walmart, and, and I was happened to go down the fishing tackle section, and all of a sudden, I heard this great loud beeping noise, and I didn't know what that was, but I, I looked up, and there was a camera monitor pointed towards me, and their lights started flashing, saying, recording in progress. All right, well, apparently, to walk down the fishing aisle in Walmart is, is quite... Uh, you know, an adventurous thing, right? Because they don't have those monitors in the dairy aisle, but they have them in the sporting goods aisle because apparently people are tempted to steal from that aisle. But again, why? I would ask myself right then and there, you know, why would anyone attempt to steal anything nowadays with with, uh, the technology that's out there? But even if you and I were to get away with something, even if you and I were to, you know, take something from that aisle, if you will, and maybe the cameras didn't pick it up, 
still, the, the point is, the point we want to understand from this lesson is that God knows every good deed, whether good or bad. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, uh, we will be accounted for. Right? We will uh, go before uh, our judge on that day, before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, Isaiah, but here's the good thing, though. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17, the prophet said, uh, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Yes, God forgives the penitent. But, of course, uh, you know, we need to understand that we're not going to be able to mock God and simply believe that he will not notice our transgressions. That we can take, the things, take those things and take them back to our tents and hide them and bury them in the ground and that no one would know. The, the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 4 verse 13 said, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. Again, we can hide things from our spouses, from our parents, from our, our church family, and believe no one will ever find out. And maybe that's true. But again, God knows, and he ultimately is the one that matters. Well, also we can learn from the life of Achan is that my sin hurts others. You know, first we notice that the lives, uh, the, the lives were lost because of Achan's deception. Again, 36 Israelite soldiers needlessly lost their lives that day. You know, pick out 36 people, you know, within this congregation, perhaps. You know, what if they died because of my sin? Something that I did. Uh, what a weight. What a burden. You know, Achan would have to live for that. Well, just for, you know, the, those few short hours that he, he lived. But again, what a guilt that he would have had. These are men, you know, who, who would not come home to their, their wives, their kids. You know, again, when we think of this book, uh, Joshua, you know, this is historical information. This is not a fairy tale or a story, but this is a real historical account of, of people who lost their lives. And we can think about, the, again, that maybe they're not going to come home to their wives and their kids because of one man's selfish actions. Well, also, not only think about that, but think about Achan's family. You know, the humiliation, again, that they endured as Joshua drew lots divinely to determine the culprit. Um, the, again, the tribe of Z Judah to the Zarathites to Zabdi to Carmi to Achan. You know, think about what that would do to that family. You know, you're sitting opposite of them. Maybe it was your husband who passed away. And you're thinking because of that man and, and his family, uh, my, my husband is dead. Do you think Achan was thinking of his tribe or his family or his children when he knowingly took that gold and silver and that mantle? You know, of course not. But when someone has that covetous mindset, you know, the, there are things that you cannot be stopped. And not only, the, not only did they endure the humiliation, but the text says that his sons and his daughters perished with him uh, because of that. You know, have you ever heard of someone say something to the effect of, you know, it's my life. Right? I can live it the way that I want. But what about the Christian? Have you ever heard a Christian say something to that effect? Uh, well, hopefully not, because we understand that when we uh, rise from the waters of baptism, we are this new creature. We are this new creation uh, that, that we are now gods. Uh, we have been bought with his blood. Uh, notice with me uh, what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14. I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures here in the New Testament this evening. But Romans chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 7, Paul writes this. He says, 
For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. But if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Again, sin hurts the people that we love the most. It might not have an effect on our neighbor or the person who lives across town or the person who lives across the country. But it's the people that we love the most that sin hurts the most. And maybe the punishment is not going to be immediate like Aiken's, but, but it will happen at some point. You know, I've seen so much of this. You know, I, I've seen so much of this in, in my life as a Christian that I could count it. Or I wouldn't be able to count it on my fingers or even my toes uh, of seeing parents, parents attending services and then faithfully, uh, or, excuse me, attending faithfully. But then at all of a sudden, you know, when they have younger children, they just stop coming. They stop coming. And then later, you know, later on in life, they repent and they come back and rededicate their lives to the Lord. But at that point, it's too late. Right? Their children have grown. They're no longer uh, have an interest. They're no longer living at home. And they have to live with the guilt of having lost them to the world, possibly never coming back to the Lord. Again, my sin affects others. My sin hurts others and can have a negative effect for years to come. Again, if only Achan would have thought of others beforehand. We also notice not only is my sin known and my sin hurts others, but my sin must be addressed. You know, remember, God told them or told Joshua uh, because sin was in the camp, you know, that he would not be with them. I won't be with you, he said, but we're going to have to deal with this now. And so God, being the sovereign God that he is, you know, it's his choice how he's going to deal with sin. Uh, you know, maybe you know, we don't understand why he chose to have Achan and his family stoned, uh, but maybe he intended to teach them again as an object lesson of what it was uh, like to uh, disobey at that time. And we understand that any organization must have discipline to succeed. Right? When we get hired to work somewhere, uh, usually we have to sign a lengthy uh, set of papers saying, you know, we're not going to do this or we're not going to do that. Uh, you know, a code of conduct. You know, again, we understand that some things you cannot do without losing your job. And the concept, you know, extends within the church as well. You know, the, many people say, I want all the benefits of being in Christ. But again, don't tell me how to live my life. It's unpleasant to address sin. Right? No one wants to do it. And if God would not allow sin in the camp of Israel, then why do we believe today that he would tolerate sin in the church? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's an account here where Paul is addressing the, the church at Corinth uh, because there is sin in the congregation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2, uh, Paul writes this. He says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. You know, Paul is addressing this immorality that's going on in the church here at Corinth that's taking place. And he says, rather uh, than uh, taking care of it like you should, uh, rather than addressing it, you're, you're proud of it. You're arrogant about it. You're allowing it to happen, right? And we see this as well today. Our culture uh, is willing to give everyone a pass, 
But, but again, the scriptures say that we need to take care of these things. We need to address them. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is teaching on forgiveness here in Matthew chapter 18. Notice what he says again, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. He says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it should be done for them by my father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in your midst. Again, Jesus says we need to address the situation. If a brother sins against you, go to him in private. Talk to him about it. But then he says, again, if he doesn't listen to you uh, in that private conversation, bring two or three witnesses with you. Those who can substantiate what the scriptures say about what they're dealing with. And again, if they don't listen to the two or three witnesses... Take it before the whole church, he says. And again, uh, no one wants to do this. No one likes to do this. But Christ promises us there in verse 20 that when we do this, when we go to or when we do this in his name, that he is there with us in our midst. And that should be a comfort for us. Uh, So when we ask ourselves, you know, what is in our tent? You know, we can ask ourselves uh, as Achan had those things in his tent. What's in our tent that we need to address? You know, there, there are a couple of ways to do that. You know, there is private confession. Uh, notice in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 10, notice what the Apostle John says here. You know, if I have private sin in my life, if I've done something that uh, is sinful, and, but, you know, maybe it's of a private matter, look what John says. And again, 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 8, he says, you know, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Again, uh, go to God in prayer and confess those things. That's what he's telling us there. Uh, But if maybe it's not a private sin, maybe it's a public sin. Maybe it's something that's Something that uh, you know, you're dealing with and you want help from? Well, James chapter 5, verse 16 tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Right? The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. But also, it might be possible that the sin that has happened uh, has brought reproach upon the church. And so uh, you need to ask forgiveness in front uh, or to the church. Or, uh, you know, sometimes when we offer the invitation, uh, that's an opportunity to address the church and to uh, ask for forgiveness as well. Uh, but again, we must address those things. Our sins need to be addressed one way uh, or the other. And we see that quite, um, quite well here in the, the account of Achan. But finally, uh, let's notice that my sin, once addressed, leads to victory. And that's what Joshua chapter 8 is all about. Again, we're not going to have the time to go through all of Joshua chapter 8. But Israel took care of the sin that was happening in the camp. And then they regrouped and God was with them and they defeated Ai. They addressed the problem 
and it led to victory. Uh, We see that once again, that they were consulting with God. They were going to him in prayer. God gave them this battle plan uh, to set an ambush. You know, they said, Joshua, take some people out front and draw them out of the city and then have some men uh, ambush them from behind. Again, destroy the city, set it on fire and victory will be yours. And that's exactly what happened. And and through and excuse me, and though, you know, repentance is painful and uh, maybe sometimes it's embarrassing and, and it's humbling. It leads to our victory over sin. Again, we can't expect God to be with us if we tolerate the sin in our lives or in the church. We are supposed to be a holy, uh, set-apart people. That's what it means to be holy, to be sanctified, that we are set apart from the world. And again, what does it say to the world when they see us uh, tolerating certain sins but you know, neglecting the others? Ultimately, we must deal with sin in love, though. That, that's the, the, the final chapter. That's, that's the, the way that it must be done. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 4 says, uh, all sin is transgression and transgression is sin. Uh, we, we, when we sin, we miss the mark. But of course, Jesus, we know, was full of grace and truth. He wasn't all grace and he wasn't all truth, but he was full of grace and truth. He was a perfect mixture of the two. And that's how we must as well, uh, as we address these things of our fellow brothers and sisters, uh, that we go to them in grace and truth. But again, it's hard, but it leads to victory. And we see that here in the lives of the Israelites in Joshua chapter 8. So again, I ask the question this evening, are you who you want others to believe? Are you that same person in public as you are in private? Uh, Are we like Achan trying to play games uh, with God? See, we need men more like we need more men like Caleb in the scriptures, who's wholly devoted his heart to the Lord. Um, But of what value is it for us to uh, fool around if we cannot uh, fool God. Again, uh, what value is it? Let me say that correctly. Of what value is it to fool those around us if we cannot fool God? Again, God knows all. And again, Achan and Joshua in chapter 7 and 8, they remind us of these things, that our sins are known, that our sins certainly hurt others, and they must be addressed, repented of, and that leads to victory in this life. So let's get rid of our aching heart and give our hearts wholly to God. This evening, if anyone is struggling, if anyone needs to ask for forgiveness, if anyone needs the prayers of this congregation, again, no better time to do that in front of your brothers and sisters to gain that strength and encouragement. Or maybe you're here this evening and you're not a Christian. Uh, the Bible tells us to, to become a Christian, that we hear the word of God, that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, that we repent, meaning we, we turn away, we change our mind and to follow Christ, we confess our sins, or excuse me, confess Jesus as Lord, and that we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church. This evening, if we can help you in any way, come forward as we stand and sing.